I'm going to introduce Paul Gordon. He is the lead pastor in North Adams, Massachusetts. He has uh, been a friend of mine. I've known him for almost 25 years, about 23 years. And when we met, he was the um, he was up at Westlow Baptist Church when I was up there. And um, then he went to Terra Nova Church and um, became the executive pastor there for a while with under Ed Marcel, who planted this church. And then he moved on to church to put a church plant. Uh, to plant a church, I should say, in North Adams uh, not, a little over a year ago. He's got, he'll, he'll give us some updates on that. Uh, I was there a couple of weeks ago filling his pulpit for him, and he's here. One of our global partners is we help uh, financially and prayerfully serve that community. Paul has a lovely wife, Nicole, and two great kids. Unfortunately, they couldn't be here today. Um, they chose to go swimming, which I would have done as well. The children, anyway. His wife had to, had to work. Um, so with that, let me bring up Paul. A good friend, brother in Christ, gospel-centered. One of the things you know about me is the gospel takes primary uh, vision for us here at the church and, you know, over politics and over baseball. Um, so we will allow him to preach. He's a diehard Red Sox fan. I'm only doing... <laughs> I would have never done this, but he introduced me three weeks ago. I deserve it. As the Yankee fan from New York. Yeah. But it was it was a good day because we had just beat you in London. And I was Are like, going here right oh, all right, all right, never mind. Let me, let me pray for my brother. Lord, thank you for this dear brother of Christ. Thank you for the, the gospel mission you sent him on in North Adams. We continue to pray for that church his family, the church family there, that you would continue to use him mightily for your kingdom, Lord. Um, with, with all kidding aside, Lord, we know that what's most important is how does a man or a woman, child, get right with you, and that is through Jesus Christ our Lord. So, Father, use him mightily as he preaches, use him mightily as he pastors that church, and may that church be a light and salt to that community as they demonstrate and declare the gospel with power that you would get glory in it. I thank you so much for him, and I ask your blessing now in Jesus' good name. Amen. Yeah, I deserve that a little bit. I told our church not to let lose New York accent fool them. He was a real Red Sox fan deep within his heart, even if he chose not to admit it. Um, but let me remind you, this century, no other baseball team has won more World Series than the Boston Red Sox. So let's, with that, let's, uh, you guys had the 1900s. We're going to take the 2000s. I'm convinced of that. So, um, it really is a joy to be here. I've never preached with a waterfall on my right, so that is incredible. Um, but it's a joy to be here. Our church, it's a, it's a young church. I'm going to walk through a little bit more of our story. Uh, but you guys are familiar to us. Uh, Ricky has been out a couple times, two or three times, I think, to lead worship uh, with our crew. And as, as Pastor Lou just mentioned, he was out a few weeks ago preaching as well. Uh, so our church has been introduced to Kings a little bit through through them. The other way is that in our lobby area, we have a coffee bar, and we've dubbed it Drink and Pray. Uh, and on, there's a TV on the coffee bar, and each Sunday we highlight uh, a church partner, church friends, and we encourage our church to be praying for another church as they get coffee each morning. And often on Sundays, before we even start, we'll pause as part of our gathering and pray for that church as well. So Kings makes a regular appearance at our Drink and Pray station. So it's really a joy to be here with you all. Uh, our church knows and is really grateful for your for your partnership, so I'm grateful to be here. Lou gave you a little bit of an introduction uh, to myself, and so he also asked I take a few minutes 
uh, and just kind of give you an introduction to our church plant in uh, Terra North Adams. So uh, in 2010, I was ordained at Terra Nova Church in Troy, New York with Ed Marcel, who I think is very familiar to many of you. Uh, and then it was in 2013, I came on staff at Terra Nova as the executive pastor when Phil Taylor moved on to Florida. Uh, and then in 2016, Nicole and I and our, our two kids moved to North Adams, Mass., which if you don't know where that is, that T on that is approximately where uh, North Adams is. It's tucked in that northwest corner uh, of Massachusetts, about 30 miles due east on Route 2 out of Troy. So that's kind of uh, where we are. It's a place where my extended family's from. So my father, grandmother, great-grandmother, and great-great-grandmother were all born in North Adams. Even though I'm a Catskill boy, I grew up in Middleburg, New York, which is where my parents uh, still live now. Holler, I heard somebody say something about Middleburg. It's God's country. That's okay to admit. Um, A little bit about North Adams, if you're not familiar with it. It is the smallest city in the state of Massachusetts. Not town or village, but the smallest incorporated city in the state of Massachusetts. Within the city limits, there's about 14,000 people. It is very much a post-industrial city. So uh, it is had mills, uh, several mills in the city. That was its heyday through the 1850 to 1950. It's now very much post-industrial. All of those businesses has moved out. You guys are familiar with the Rust Belt in New York. It's a very uh, similar thing. There is an ongoing renewal happening uh, that is being spearheaded and led by North America's largest museum of contemporary art, which exists in North Adams. It is huge. It is well worth your drive if you've not been to Mass Mocha, uh, Massachusetts Museum of Contemporary Art, which is in North Adams. It's a, it's a fascinating museum, but it is leading the way uh, through the renewal of North Adams. Now, like much of New England, uh, there is a very historical aspect to Christian faith and the Puritan roots that it was there. But if you were to look at it today, uh, faith is not a faith in Jesus, church life, all of that is not something that is prominent and prevalent in the rhythm of our town. Uh, about 10 mile radius from North Adams, there's going to be about 35, 40,000 people, give or take. Uh, and last year, maybe two years ago now, a group, myself and a group of other local pastors sat down and we just tried to figure out if that's the population, approximately how many of those attend church. And we're going to include everybody in this bucket, whatever stripe you want to uh, be on or whatever team you're playing on, we're going to include everybody in this bucket and appro- approximately how many people attend church in the northern Berkshire County or northwest Massachusetts out of 35 or 40,000. And collectively out of our best estimates, we got to maybe 500, maybe 600. Uh, in all of the churches in our region that serve 35 to 40,000 people. So there's a distinct and there's a felt need to make faith and to make Jesus uh, much more relevant than he currently is. A church plant in our neck of the woods, I'm not sure. It's been decades, maybe even a century, since there's been a new church planted and started in our region. So to kind of give you a little bit of visual as we walk through this, uh, in January of 2015, eight people, that was four couples, four families, started to get together and have a Bible study in a, in a living room in Williamstown, Mass., which is right next door to North Adams. Over the course of two years, that group grew to about 30, 35 people, and we started having services and gatherings every other Sunday. Uh, this is a photo from that time. This is probably, I'm going to say, late 2016, maybe early 2017. Uh, in the living room that we used to empty out the house and set up a church in there every other Sunday. We had some gracious hosts. I think Ricky even joined us for one of the Sundays uh, in this place. 
that in November of 2017, we started gathering in a temporary space. And this was right on Main Street in North Adams. This is one of our early services uh, as we gathered. Uh, this is probably November or December of 2017. And then November of 2018, we opened up a brand new space. We've signed a seven-year lease, and, this, and I'll talk a little bit more about the space. Uh, but this is Christmas last season. This is an open house uh, that we had in our space, which actually several of you came over uh, and celebrated that with us uh, as well. So that's a little bit of our, of our church plant journey to kind of give you a visual. And to give you a little bit more story into this, the space that we gather in is really important to our church plant. In addition to launching the church, we also launched a nonprofit community event gathering space, almost a community center, if you would, and we set it up as a co-op model. So we didn't build a church space and then just open it up. We actually built a community space. We call it the green. We're piggybacking off the idea of a historic New England village green, this common space where people would gather and come together. Uh, and so over the past year, since we've opened our space at the Green, we've, we've had, we have seven different members who actually use the space almost every day. Um, on Sundays, obviously, the church rents it and gathers there. We have an addiction recovery center who meets there on Wednesdays. Uh, there's a music studio who does voice and piano lessons who meets on Wednesdays. The local farmer's market rents it on Saturdays through the winter, and that's where they have their farmer's market in the winter. So we really were trying to build a community center, and, and not just as a way for the church to give space to the community, but also for a way for the church and the community to get to know each other and to build relationships was really our heart uh, in doing that. And so we've been able to do that successfully a couple ways. Several of our people actually help out with the Addiction Recovery Center on Wednesdays. They've become volunteers uh, with that group. Uh, One of the other organizations who uses the space, it's kind of hard to describe what they do. I think if you think United Way, that might be the... or a Boys and Girls Club, they kind of meld together a whole bunch of things. But one of the programs they offer is something called 24-7 Dad. It's father mentoring. So there's young fathers in the community who are struggling to know what fatherhood is. Often they're single dads. Uh, and so they, they get paired up with another dad who's been a dad, and they get mentored on, on just the journey, the emotional journey, the spiritual journey, the very practical journey of how to be a dad. And so some of our guys have actually started mentoring uh, some, of the, some of the dads in our community too. So we've been able to cross-pollinate relationally, and that's been really important to our process. So that's a little bit about our church plant. We're continuing to chug along. We're 18 months in or so, uh, not even a year into our new space. We continue to work hard. Uh, We continue to pray hard through that process. I try to remind myself that church planting is often far more spiritual than it is strategic, uh, and so we can't forsake prayer and relying on the Spirit in our journey. Uh, And I wish, I really do wish and I wish I could stand here and say, in the last year, we've had 78 people come to Christ, and we've had 94 baptisms or whatever. I I can't. Um, But we continue to labor for the gospel. We continue to hope and pray uh, for those things. I can tell you that there's an 18-year-old who told me just recently, hey, my life is different because I've started coming to this. They came to our very first service. He's like, my life is different. I've left things, and I'm grateful for your teaching. I can tell you there's families and mom and dad who say, like, you, this church has breathed freshness and life back into our, our journey of following Jesus, so we're grateful for those things. Uh, but we continue to uh, try to remain steadfast to the place that God has called us to. We, we try to continue to remain steadfast to the people we believe God has called us to serve. And so if I could give you guys, by way of wrapping up that update, If I could give you four things that I'd love for you to be praying for, can I give that to you? 
Feel free to write these things down. I don't have, I, I should have put this on a slide. I'm not that smart. Um, oh, you know what? I'm not used to moving my own slides. So here's the farmer's market. No, that's not the farmer's market. That's the farmer's market. That's not the farmer's market. This is a fancy little gadget you have. I don't know what I'm doing. That's the farmer's market. Can I keep going here or no? Whatever. We're done with that. Can I give you four things to pray for? Because one of them being how me to use technology because I'm terrible with it. All right, here's four things I'd love to know as a partner church, as brothers and sisters in Christ uh, that you're praying for. One of the things we continue to try to mold and shape into our young church group is that they can own the identity that they are missionaries in the Northern Berkshires. Can you continue to pray that they get that identity, they own it, that they fall in love with Jesus and he becomes the boast of their tongue in very natural and normal ways? Uh, similarly, within our, with our core group and our, and our small group of people, can you continue to pray for deepening unity amongst them, love for one another, care for one another, unity for, with one another? Third thing, just pray that God continues to provide. We're a small crew, uh, that he continues to pr- provide people, he continues to provide financial resources and all the stuff that it needs to come together for a church plant. Continue, pray that God continues to provide. And then join us in praying that many come to faith in Jesus. Uh, we'd be doing, if we're not praying for that, then we've missed. And so please be joining us that new folks are finding faith in Jesus and life in him and following after him as part of our community. So those would be four things I'd love to know that you all are praying for uh, along with us. All right. Can I pray and then can we open up the word of God and spend some time there? All right. Join me in prayer. Father, it's quite a marvelous thing that you allow a very simple person like me to speak to the splendor and the glory of who you are. Father, I pray over these next few minutes that if nothing else, I am faithful to your word, I am faithful to who you are, and anything I say may only point to you and reveal you as more glory-filled than anything else and not distract from that. Spirit, through me, May your people be encouraged, may they be exhorted, and may they be equipped to follow Jesus more faithfully. And spirits of beyond anything else, even echoing like what Ricky prayed earlier, may you open our eyes, may you soften our hearts, and in incremental ways through the teaching of your word, may Jesus become more beautiful and more believable to our souls this morning. It's in his name we pray, amen. All right, uh, to know me a little bit more is to know that uh, I have a soft spot. I have a love for poetry, uh, especially I love the poetry of songs and the lyrics of songs. And I love a band, I don't know if you're familiar with a band called the Avid Brothers. Anybody? No, okay, so one couple people, yeah, all right. So the Avid Brothers are from North Carolina. So uh, despite the barbecue that comes out of North Carolina, they're proof that something does good come from North Carolina. Kind of like Bruce Springsteen is evidence that something good can come out of New Jersey. Um, and maybe Lou is evidence that something good can come from downstate. Yeah, we, we go with that? And maybe someday some good Yankee player will get, I don't know. 
Anyway, uh, the Avits have a song called True Sadness. I don't know if you're familiar with this, but I want to read the lyrics. I don't want to sing them. Trust me, you don't want to hear me sing these things. Um, but I want to read these lyrics because I think it resonates deeply with us. Here's those lyrics. These should be on the screen. I got that right. I hate to say it, but the way it seems is that no one is fine. Take the time to peel a few layers and you will find true sadness. Does that resonate at all? Like behind the facade of life. Take the time to peel a few layers. Get to know somebody. And what we're going to find is that there really is sadness as an undercurrent to so much of our existence. A longing that says something doesn't feel right. Something is off. This isn't the way it should be. Like there's sadness that resonates deeply within us. Whatever it might be from somewhere or sometimes, sadness is so much a part of our reality. As much as we don't want that to play out, it's what is within us if we take the time to peel a few layers of our own hearts and peer within our own souls, true sadness seems deeply rooted in there. Now the point of today's sermon is not to dismiss that or deny that, but the point is to say, yeah, there's true sadness because it's not the, the reality, it's not, it's not the fullness of the intended reality. There is a place we should all lament and feel sadness, but the point, my hope in this sermon, is to get our eyes off of that and get our eyes onto the place where there can be true joy. What is it we can peel a few layers in and find true sadness? And a, and a, and a joy that's stuff that we need, something that is more lasting than just circumstantial happiness, right? A joy that is not based on circumstances, a joy that we don't have the burden of creating, a joy that we don't have the burden of cultivating in our own strength and our own ability because, goodness, we just we can't get there, but a joy that we can just rest in and savor. And for some others, for some of you, in the room, that's going to be, I'm going to, I hope to stir you up by way of reminder. I know Pastor Lou, I'm pretty sure you've heard the gospel, and something along the lines, you'd never graduate from the gospel, and I hope to stir you up by way of remembrance for that, and for others, maybe this is brand new, I don't know. But to do this journey, to not deny the true sadnesses that was within us, but to put our eyes on true joy as well, I want to look at Isaiah 12. It's six verses long. It's one of my favorite passages in the Bible. If you're into memorizing scripture, this is a great one to memorize because um, you can say you memorize a whole chapter, but it's really not that bad. But this is one of my favorite passages in all of the Bible. So I want to read it, and then we'll, we'll jump into it a little bit more. Isaiah chapter 12, and this is on the screen. I've got to remember to advance this. Maybe I'll just read it out of here. Isaiah chapter 12, verse 1. You will say in that day, I will give thanks to you, O Lord, for though you were angry with me, your anger turned away that you might comfort me. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and will not be afraid. For the Lord God is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. Verse 3, with joy, you will draw water from the wells of salvation and you will say in that day, just remember that phrase, in that day. We're, I'm going to circle back on that, but that's now twice that Isaiah has said, in that day. And you will say, in that day, give thanks to the Lord, call upon his name, make known his deeds among the peoples, proclaim that his name is exalted, sing praises to the Lord, for he has done gloriously. Let this be, be made known in all the earth. Shout and sing for joy, O inhabitant of Zion, for great in your midst is the Holy One of Israel. 
All right, here's a quick roadmap of how I'll chop this up and spend the rest of our time through this, through this passage. Three, three movements through here. I want to look at the first two verses and just speak to what is a critical, a foundational piece of what it means to have joy. We have to see in verses one and two a very important foundation for the definition of joy. In verse three, I actually think there's a hidden nugget that's in there that can help us abide in joy and remain joyful. And then in verses four through six, I think we're going to see the the fruit of abundant joy or authentic joy is where Isaiah goes in the last three verses. So available joy, abiding joy, abundant joy will be our roadmap. With me? Yeah? I'm good with feedback. You guys can nod, you can stand, raise your hand, ask me questions, do whatever you want. I'm good with all that. All right. Ann Voskamp, I don't know if you're familiar with that writer or not, but Ann Voskamp says this about joy. Joy is a function of what we see. And I think in measure there's some, there's some truth to this, that joy is a function of what we're looking at, what we put before us, what we're focusing our mind on. It's a function of what we see. So if that's true, and there's measure of help in that, I want to put before us two things that come out of the first two vo- verses that I think we have to see clearly, that they're a linchpin to understanding joy. The first one is the greatness of grace, and the second one is the greatness of God. Each one comes out of the first two verses. Greatness of grace and the greatness of God. Verse 1 is the greatness of grace. I'm going to reread it. I will give thanks to you, O Lord, for though you were angry with me, your anger turned away that you might comfort me. That though you were angry with me, this is Isaiah speaking to the Lord, that though you were angry with me, your anger turned away that you might comfort me. Do you guys catch the, the contrast? Like the, there's something very unique going on here, that there's anger turned to comfort, that there's wrath turned to mercy. Does that contrast strike you? Because like, just think about your own heart and your own life. The folks that you're angry with is your inclination to turn towards them to comfort them in your anger. <laughs> or am I alone? And that's not my natural inclination. At the core in this verse is a revelation of grace. It's a window into the distinctness and the, and the uniqueness and the greatness of God's grace. That though he is angry with me, he turns to comfort me. That though I deserved this, God gives me this. Right? We're being led down the pathway of grace here. And to really see the beauty in this contrast, in the revelation of grace at its depths, let me propose we need to come to grips. We need to put before our eyes. We need to see two things, and we need to see them clearly. Right? The first thing we must come to grips with, or we must become aware of, is our state of who we are in our own nature before the throne of a holy God. We have to come to grips with who we are. Right? that we are sinful by nature, that we are deserving of his anger. Other parts of the Bible would tell us that we were at once, at one time enemies of a holy God, that we were in desperate need of saving and we cannot save ourselves. We have to come to grips. We have to have that before our eyes for this uniqueness of this great grace to make sense and to be rich and joyful. That's the first thing. We have to see who we are. The second thing we have to also see, because it's not just that, the second thing we have to also see is the scope of God's grace. 
and how far it reaches, how far it extends beyond our sinfulness to grab us, to meet us, to reach us, to find us wherever we may be. In whatever sin we may be stuck in, whatever our background is, we have to see the reality of who we are and we have to see the greatness and the scope of God's grace. We have to get these two things and put them before our eyes. Let me also propose two more things to you because I think when we're faced with that, we're going to find ourselves on a spectrum. And that spectrum that we're going to tend to find ourselves on is that we're either going to think too little of ourselves or we're going to think too much of ourselves. Let me unpack that for you a little bit with what I mean by that. To have too low of a view of ourselves, right? If we're, so if we're faced with the reality of who we are in our sin and the greatness of, our, of God's grace, to think too low of ourselves is to have these thoughts stirring within our hearts and within our souls. My sin's too much. My sin's too unique. I'm too depraved. I've done far too... My, the things that I've done are just bad. Or... or I, I've done that far too often. I've asked for forgiveness one too many times. God certainly is done with me. Like, I've stumbled in that sin uh, again. He, he can't have more comfort me. God couldn't possibly love me. God couldn't possibly desire to comfort me. This is to think too low of ourselves. That our sin is greater than the ability of God to save. Right, and this scripture directly pushes back against these lies that we sit in and stir in our head and it replaces it with this truth that God has a grace greater than your brokenness that no sinner has ever outsinned the grace of God. I mean, come on. That no sinner has ever outsinned the grace of God. This scripture points us to that. To think too low of yourself is to think that that doesn't apply to you. The other end of the spectrum is to think too high of yourself. And here's what I mean by that. It's to think, ah, my sin's not that bad. I mean, come on, God, settle down with all this anger talk. I'm human after all. And certainly I'm not the worst human. Like, these things are just natural for me. Like, how can, like, how can I be, be held responsible for that? I'm naturally designed these ways. Like, this is not that big of a deal. This is to think too highly of ourselves and too little of our sin, and we don't see it the way that God sees it. We diminish it, we downplay it, we justify it, we dismiss it. Maybe we even accept it in this hope that if we can avoid conviction, then that's the pathway to joy, getting rid of the guilt and conviction. But let me just propose this. That is not the pathway to joy. The pathway to joy is to get on the pathway of grace, and in order to get that, we have to see the reality of who we are and the great grace of our God. If no sinner has ever outsinned the grace of God, no saint has ever earned the grace of God either. Right? We have to come to grips with these things. That's the building block, the greatness of grace that is building block number one to understand joy. Isaiah gives us a second one in verse two. And it's the greatness of the God who authors that great grace. So let me put back before you verse two. I'm going to reread this. Behold, so after God's anger has turned to comfort, behold, look, look at this, fill your eyes with this. God is my salvation. I will trust and will not be afraid. For the Lord God is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. Did I go too far there? Yeah. Verse 2 is all about this plain and simple truth. God is our salvation, not us. 
We cannot save ourselves. That only a great God with great grace can save us, can begin this process of replacing true sadness in our soul with true joy. And here's where I want to circle back on twice we heard that phrase, in that day. As we read the passage, I wanted you to kind of just make a mental note of. Twice we heard that passage, in that day, when God would become our salvation. So Isaiah is writing these words before Christ. We're on this side of the cross, and here's what we proclaim and we preach about faith in this, that, that we live in that day. That day when God has become our salvation through the work and through the person of Jesus Christ. We, we, are, we know what Isaiah is pointing to, we, that we look to Jesus Christ, the one who lived the life that none of us could, right? The one who lived a perfect life that perfectly pleased God, the one who willingly died the death we deserved so that God's anger could be towards and we could receive comfort from him. This is what we point to as that day, that Jesus Christ is the hope of mankind, the savior of our souls, the joy of our souls. Right, that's the day that Isaiah is pointing to that we live in, and that is what we broadly refer to and call the gospel in the life of the church. Is that God has become our salvation in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And if we take the time to peel a few layers here and fill our eyes with this, it can be a source of joy, deep joy. So let me, let me kind of put these things together for you, building block one and building block two, and give you uh, what I propose a definition of joy to be, all right? Here, here's what I would propose out of verses one and two, a, a definition of joy to be. Delighting in the great grace our great God in Jesus gives us despite our depravity. Joy. Delighting in the great grace our great God in Jesus gives us despite our great depravity. That's true joy. That's unshakable joy, steadfast joy, lasting joy, because just consider that definition. Here's, here's what that definition frees us up from, right? This thing supersedes any earthly manufactured place of possible joy because it's just not of this world. <laughs> it's from a great God who gives us great grace. This, thing, this is eternal. This can't be lost. This can't be changed. This can't be shaken, Circumstances can't rattle this truth as dire as they may get. Circumstances can't rattle this truth. And this doesn't come from within us. It's authored by God himself. We don't have to strive for this. We don't have to earn this. We don't have to work for this. It's just there for us to receive and to rest in and to savor in. And it's a gift from a great God who has great grace. So here's the thing. This is a truth that's eternal, that can't be shaken, that we should never tire of, never forget, never grow weary of, never forget celebrating, never stop returning to, that when the gospel of Jesus regularly fills our eyes and is put before us, joy can fill our heart. So here's where verse 3, I actually think, comes a really key verse in this whole passage. It's a really short verse. In verse 3, it just says, with joy, right? So out of what we just came with, with joy, you will draw water from the wells of salvation. So Isaiah is telling us, if you can get verses 1 and 2 with joy, you're going to get water from the wells of salvation, the deep riches of grace in Jesus Christ, that he's the living water that satisfies our soul. And when we draw water from that source, Jesus becomes a delight to our soul. We can rest in it. We can receive it. We don't have to earn it, all that kind of stuff. But I find it interesting. There's one, there's one letter in this whole sentence that, I, that just I find really interesting. Right? And it's the fact that Isaiah makes this well 
wells. He puts an S on the end of wells. Now, I don't think Isaiah is saying wells of salvation as though there's more than one Jesus, as though there's more than one pathway to redemption in God. I, that's not what he's going at. I don't think Jesus, or Isaiah is saying, listen, you need, to, you need to be saved again. Like, you need to continually return to, like, you sin, you lost your salvation, and get saved again. I don't think that's what Isaiah is drawing us into. I think the plural here that he's drawing us into is he's trying to encourage the pilgrim of Jesus, hey, return to this source of joy. Don't forget going back to this. And in that, we go back to the wells of salvation, that we can have the joy of our salvation fresh and anew. Uh, Think of it like this, maybe. We'll keep the imagery of water going. For physical sustenance, how often do you drink a glass of water? When you were six years old, did you drink one glass of water and you've been set for life? No. Last Sunday before you came to church, did you drink a glass of water and that was good enough to get you through the week so you can show up here hydrated and refreshed? No. How often do we go back to drinking water? for physical refreshment and sustenance all the time. And I think Isaiah is drawing us into this idea. Likewise, for spiritual refreshment and spiritual sustenance, keep returning to the joy of your salvation and the waters of joy that come from Jesus, this great God who gives you great grace. Keep going back to that. Very practically, maybe I can just Sometimes, I, I, my wife is a great critic of my preaching. <laughs> That's true. Um, one of the things she, she says sometimes, like, hey, can, can you just give me something practical? Because I have a tendency to forget the practical. Let me give you just maybe some easy practical things of how do we, we keep returning to, the, to this? How do we keep the gospel of Jesus before our eyes? Um, one of the things I thought of on my way over this morning, I just decided to listen to Andrew Peterson the whole drive over. I don't know if you guys know the artist Andrew Peterson, um, but goodness, his lyrics just spoke the gospel into my heart on the whole drive over here. The lyrics just kept reminding me of the goodness of the gospel. The music you listen to, can that be a place that helps you return to the well of salvation in the gospel? Um, Can community and repentance and confession, so get yourself a safe, trusted community that has truth and grace as regular rhythms of it, and have that be a place of repentance and confession that they they can exhort you, but they can also encourage you and remind you of the grace of Jesus. Had that be, and then like you, the third thing, if, if it's listening, just a simple thing of listening to music, get a trusted community of truth and grace. The third thing is you can't forsake a steady diet of the Word of God. This idea is just from beginning to end in the Bible. This he he humbles us so that he can raise us up, that he makes us low so he can raise us up. That that though his hand slay me, yet I will trust him. This whole idea of that we need to have the reality of who we are and the reality of him before us and delighting in that is from beginning to end in the Bible. So don't forget and don't forsake a diet of the word of God read daily in your life and just constantly being fed to you through preaching as well. Maybe, I don't know if I have time for this. Um, Actually, Lou told me he preaches for an hour and a half. So if I go 45 minutes, you guys are like, great. So this might be helpful because maybe, maybe in here there's, there's two cautions I think might be worth it. It's a little bit of a rabbit trail, but I think this is okay. Um, two cautions as we get to this point. One of the things I don't want you to hear me saying and I don't think is helpful for us is to, to have this idea 
That what I'm trying to say is to continue to have your sin right before you so that you berate yourself with the shame of it and continue to condemn yourself with it. I am not trying to promote, continue to be in despair over the sin. I'm actually trying to encourage you, see it, but delight in the grace of Jesus, not despair. But we, we just can't ignore this either. Otherwise, we, we, we just cheapen the grace of God. So that might be one caution. The other thing I'm not trying to intend with this sermon either is to have this whole idea of what Jesus did for us on the cross and the eternality of that and the security of it just dismiss the circumstances that we find ourselves in on a day-to-day basis and to say, hey, ignore that. Don't pay attention to the circumstances of your life. Just look at this. Look at this and get distracted. That's not what I'm trying to say either because sometimes life is just stinking hard. And like sadness really is within us. And sometimes we can't even get ourselves out of our own sadness. We can't even get out of our own way. This is true about the reality of our now. It's, it's, it's just difficult. And we have these feelings of like, this is not the way it's meant to be. So I'm not trying to say, don't look at that and dismiss that. But I am trying to say, we can't hyper-focus on that. And we have to be able to see who Jesus is and what he has done for us as well. Because if all we fill our eyes with is the circumstances of life, joy will ever elude your soul. But if you can also put before you in the midst of life, through the lens of faith, right, seeing the unseen, through this lens, see what Jesus has done, who he is, and what he has done for you, then joy can be kindled and abide despite circumstances. I believe that to be true because I've experienced it to be true and I think the word of God proclaims that. That what is eternally secure in in Christ regardless of our circumstances is that our great God gives us great grace despite our depravity or maybe even despite our despair. Our great God gives us great grace despite our despair and I want to encourage you drink that cup of water eight times a day. Keep going back to the well of salvation for joy. Over time, that's going to build a reservoir. Not a trickle, not just a drip for the day to get you through the next hour. That's going to build a reservoir that you can draw upon for joy, and especially in the days where it feels like you're living in a desert. And, I, and I, think, I think this is actually where Isaiah goes after the first three verses. There's a, there's a bit of a change, and I think as, uh, where Isaiah goes is he walks us through these things, and then he, then he paints a portrait for us of what it looks like to actually know where joy is made available from and to abide in it. So I'm going to reread verses 4, 5, and 6. And as I do this, I want you to just to listen to how Isaiah talks about how people of God respond to the great grace of God. So I'm going to reread these verses just Try to catch all the responses that Isaiah packs in. And you will say in that day, give thanks to the Lord. So, hint, there's one. Give thanks to the Lord. Call upon his name. Make known his deeds among the peoples. Proclaim that his name is exalted. Sing praises to the Lord, for he has done gloriously. Let this be made known in all the earth. Shout and sing for joy, O inhabitant of Zion, for great in your midst is the Holy One of Israel. So let me just take a step back and kind of make sure we're on the same page here and we're caught up. Here's what Isaiah has done for us so far. That there is a great grace, right? That, there, that though we deserved, that though anger was turned to comfort, that that great grace is authored by a great God through the person of Jesus Christ. And Isaiah is asking us, abide in that, remain in that, return to that truth often. And now he's saying, this is a portrait of a person who does those first two steps. 
This is how they live. This is how they respond to that. This is the overflow of joy in their life, like a perpetual old faithful. It's almost the sense we get because Isaiah is just giving us a whole host of things. In that verse, uh, we have give thanks. We have call upon his name. We have make him known. We have proclaim him. We have sing to him. We have sing for joy. We're even told to shout. Like There's a bunch of different responses Isaiah is painting as a response of worship, that this is a soul who knows its source of joy and continues to return to it and delights in it. This is, I think, what Jesus is referring to in John 7 when he talks about the believer in him, the the faithful follower of Jesus. Out of him, rivers of living water would flow. Like They had this reservoir that they're just spewing out that there's an abundance of worship that flows out of the follower in Jesus. Now, here's a reality I think that can... We, kind of, we might have to wrestle through a little bit. I don't know you super well, so I don't want to presume too much of anything, but I want to say this. This is the reality to the journey that we, we've been on so far. Like, I want to just propose this idea that the soul that knows its need of grace, that the soul knows where that grace comes from and returns to that well often, will find that to be a delight of their soul and a boast of their tongue. I almost want to propose it's like the knee, the, the little triangle hammer thing that hits your knee and your knee just reflects up. Like it's that instinctual. The soul that knows its true need of grace, knows the true source of it, and keeps returning to that, will, will find Jesus to be the light, light of the, or the, the boast of their tongue and the joy of their soul. And they will naturally give witness to that. They will naturally live out these responses that Isaiah is calling us to. Uh, And so if that's not true, let me propose a diagnostic for you. Perhaps you need to return to how much you need grace and the author of that grace. Don't force it. Don't force verses 4, 5, and 6. That's inauthentic. That'll be hypocritical. But I want to propose to you that if you truly understand your need of grace and you truly know Jesus as the author of that grace for you, this becomes easy. Now, that's also a little too simple. I don't mean to make that sound so like it's just easy. But I once heard this definition of evangelism. I kind of like it. Evangelism is simply singing a better song. I, I actually, when I heard that, I was like, I actually really kind of like that. Simply singing a better song. Because here's the reality, right? The world around us, like the search for joy is just not unique to the people of God. Right? The search for joy is something that humans long for, to be satisfied, to be content, right? And so the world around us is going to preach to us. They're going to be singing a song of all the places that we can find joy, right? And we, and we know that we probably have taste of these things. We probably chase after these things a lot of days, but we can find joy in our work. We can find joy in our toys and the things that we can accumulate. We can find joy in our relationships and intimacy and the people. We can find joy in a a, a fat bank account so we can create this security that we never really have to worry about anything. We can find joy in a vacation home. and I mean, you name it. (laughs) I bet we can craft it into an idol of joy. The world around us is going to tell us all places to find the joy. What I want to encourage us to is that true joy is found in a different song, a better song, the song of Isaiah 12. Delighting in the great grace that our great God gives us in Jesus. 
I think it's instinctual for us to respond like Isaiah does because I look at social media. <laughs> Here's what I mean by that. Like, we naturally know how to delight in something that we find we like. Right? I mean, this isn't that hard for us to figure. Like, we find a new, if I find a new restaurant, I can be sure to tell you, I'm going to tell you about that on social media. You gotta go get the food, whatever, at this restaurant. If I find the next coolest band, I'm going to be standing up here telling you that something good comes out of Montana. I don't know. But like, if we find something that we love, that we delight in, that satisfies us, we naturally become evangelists for it. My, like, kids on social media. My kids, the coolest, smartest, cutest, whatever. And we, we, we brag on that stuff. Like, we delight in them, and we. Po- I don't need to go to sports, do I? Like, that which we delight in, we have a natural tendency to be evangelists for, to promote. And so I just want to say, when the greatness of God and the greatness of his grace is savored by our soul, can we naturally let that be the song of our life? In a very normal way. As Isaiah shows us, sing about him, praise him, exalt him, proclaim him. It's no different, yet it's much more valuable than talking about the latest coffee shop with the latest cold brew, the, the best thing you've ever had. Like, it's no different, but can we just lean into this and make the greatness of his grace known? Preach the goodness of Christ because you've tasted of it and savored and rested in it. Shout him even. Like, I have a friend who loves to hike to Vista's he gets to an overlook and he, he shouts at the top of his lungs scripture verses or song lyrics because for him, it is, he just loves to give God his loudest voice. I think, Great! Shout him even. But there's a great grace from a great God. Delight in that and return to it often and let it be the natural overflow of your tendency to be an evangelist of that which you delight in. I, probably, I need to wrap this up. I think if I just tried to put a bow on this for you, if, if all we do is take the time to peer into our own hearts, peel a few layers there, individually or collectively, we are going to find true sadness. That is a reality. But I want to encourage us to peel a few layers of the gospel by continuing to return it and peer into the heart of our great God. And find there the source of true joy. Abide in that joy. And let that joy redefine the boast of your tongue, the message of your life, the purpose of your life for his glory and for his sake. That there is a great God who gives us great grace in Jesus. Amen? Amen. Let me pray. Lord, can, can you continue to put that before our eyes? Can you continue to give us eyes that focus on the greatness of who you are and the greatness of your grace towards your people? Father, don't just put that before our eyes, though, as though we're being entertained like we watch a movie. Father, can you push that deeper so that we can experience it, so that we can taste it, so that we can savor it, so that we can even get to the point where we embrace it? as true and as right and as good and as satisfying for our souls. And Father, may your spirit that indwells us because of who Christ is, may that spirit just give us the boldness and the courage to express the reality of the joy that we have found in you. Father, thank you for the great grace that you give us in Jesus. And may that ever be the delight of our souls today and every day from this day forward. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.